Cats at Night. Now, here's John Katsimatidis. This is John Katsimatidis, Cats at Night, the number one show at 5 o'clock. And, and we got a great show for you today. And I'll tell you, it's getting dark out there. Uh, today, the Republicans outnumber the uh, Democrats. We have one common-sense Democrat, Judge Richard Weinberg, two common-sense Republicans, Ed Cox and, and Congressman Peter, Peter King, and uh, Lydia... I'm an independent. You're an independent. I'm an independent. I'm a middle-of-the-road person. <laughs> and you know who else is an independent? Bill O'Reilly. Tell us about it. Bill O'Reilly, he's a journalist, a prolific author. He also has a show. He's a TV host, also has a show with us at WABC Radio, Common Sense with Bill O'Reilly, Monday through Friday at 9 o'clock. He also has those those killing series, Killing the Legends, what, 20 million books sold so far. Cats at Night, welcome back. Hey, great to be here. Happy Thanksgiving week to everybody. Got uh, millions of people going to be in the city on Thursday watching the parade. That should they be, be worried? I don't think, you know, I, I, my assessment of it is this. They, NYPD has to protect the grid from 57th Street down to 23rd Street. They have to. Um primarily in Midtown. They don't have to go to the east side or the west side so much. But there will be hundreds of grifters in Times Square and other tourist spots looking to rip people off. There's no doubt. So tourists are going to be all over the place, and they're targets. And it'll be very interesting to see, number one, if the NYPD can stop any violence that might happen. And that usually happens after midnight. And number two, can constrain the pickpockets and the guys who grab your phone and push you down and all that can constrain them. Because remember, if you try to grab somebody's phone or wallet, nothing happens to you. The police commanders don't even want them arrested because they know the stuff will get thrown out and it's a waste of manpower and time. It's going to be very interesting to see how the NYPD uh, handles the situation. Well, we have the uh, uh, chief of police, uh, which who's retiring, uh, the four-star chief, uh, uh, Chief Corey, is it? Yeah, Ken Corey. Ken, uh, and he's coming on at uh, 540 uh, tonight. And uh, it'll be interesting, uh, after 34 years in the police department, how he uh, responds. Well, you, I don't know the guy. Uh, is he going to tell the truth? I think he's at the point he's going to tell the truth. He's always been a straight shooter, too. Yeah, yeah. You know, so what I want to know is the morale. So what mm. are the orders given now? If we all know that police personnel in the neighborhoods stand by while people use our narcotics out in the public, while they defecate, while they urinate, they don't break up fights. Well, Judge Weinberg, maybe you'll write it down, write those down and ask them. That those I'd like to know what what is what are the standing orders in the morning meetings for the police? They all have in the precincts. Um, do you those are quality of life crime by the by the way that Hochul and and uh, the mayor and uh, Bragg don't want to they, yep. they don't care. Yep. Well, Bill, I, so I will... when you have that, I don't know. I mean, if I were a police officer, I would arrest these guys anyway, which is. Yeah, well, I, might, I mean, make, make it tough in their lives. Bad. If I was mayor, if I was mayor, 
I would tell the police officers, you well, arrest, arrest them. them and take them to the precinct in uh, Hunts Point. Sure. Yeah, why not? Any kind of deterrent will drop the amount of crime because the drug addicts, and mo- almost all of them are, don't want to be away from their narcotic source. So if you keep them overnight, they can't get the drugs. You have to arraign them within 24 hours of the time of arrest. Uh, unless yeah, you can isolate them for 24 hours, and they don't want that. So that would be an inhibitor. But as we all know, that's not what's happening. Well, well, let's talk to the we'll talk to the chief about it. But Bill raised a good issue with respect to morale. I'll tell you, morale is not only bad with the police; it's bad with the prosecutors. Lots of prosecutors are leaving the DA's offices because they can't put up with this open file discovery nonsense, where they have to get rid of cases because they can't move the cases. What does properly. that mean in layman's terms? It simply. means they have to they have to open up the files and have everything done within a fifteen day period, and they can't do it. Which is so therefore, they're throwing out cases that they should be prosecuting. And I'll also tell you because I I have lunch and dinner and talk to my former colleagues on Supreme Court and Criminal Court. They tell me the morale is terrible amongst the judges too. So up and down the line of the criminal justice system, you have bad morale, and the legislature is doing nothing to to cure it. And I'm still waiting no. for Kathy Hochul to wake up uh, and cure l- it. L- let's move on. I got an interesting subject. Twitter, Elon Musk, Elon Musk and uh, uh, President Trump are quasi fighting with each other. Any opinions? I mean, uh, I was, I, you know, when I, I called one of uh, President Trump's right hand guys and I said to him Sunday morning, I said, what do we need another enemy for? And uh, he says, well, he's got an obligation to his uh, public public company that he's going to promote that. I said, well, if he wants to become president, they have, what, 500,000 or 5 million impressions? And Twitter has 80 million on on, on, uh, Donald J. Trump. What say you? Well, look, if Musk is going to offer Trump the way back onto Twitter— why not do both? He's not saying uh, you can, uh, what is it, uh, some social thing he's got? What Truth is it? Social, media social? Yeah. So do both. We can't even remember the name. <laughs> <laughs> I don't follow this kind of stuff very much. I think that Musk has a potential to be a very positive force in this country. I agree. But I, I, I met him once at a Hollywood party, if you can believe it. Quirky. Oh, I can really tell you. I didn't have a long conversation with him. Um, but he is a force. If he um, creates Twitter as a free speech forum with limits, and those limits should be spelled out, no defamation, no obscenities, you know, you're there, you do it, you're out. Uh, I think that thing can be, uh, you know, a great conduit of information. One more interesting thing. CBS has told its people no more Twitter. But they're back on. They rescinded that today. Did they rescind it Yeah, today? they went back on. Oh, they just okay. went back on today. All right. I, I, Bill Edcox, I've got a question for you. What happened yeah. to the big red wave that was supposed to hit this country on Election Day? Didn't happen. Well, the uh, independents broke 4% for the Democrats, and that made it close in a lot of states, there was a big red wave in Florida and Texas. Uh, 
New York also, we had our yeah. own red wave where we we did better in every county, including New York City, than we did two years ago. Especially in this or yeah. in Suffolk. Let me put that in. Yeah, isn't that right? You're yeah. right. I mean, look, but, you know, our red wave was issue-oriented. Right. And a lot of the other states did not have that intensity of violent crime going unpunished. So I was surprised. I thought there would be the red wave. Um, because of the economy. And I am surprised that people vote against their own self-interest. Look, Joe Biden's not going to get any better. In fact, the country's going to have a rough 2023. It's not going to be a a happy year. There are too many things happening that go against the folks. Um, And I don't see any problem solved. It's just like we just talked about. Who in New York is trying to reverse this horrible crime situation? No one. I mean, we in the media, WABC, we are. But what elected official is out there going, no, no, we're going to do this. We're going to change that. I don't see it. And the same thing with the economy. So Biden is running around. He doesn't really know why the uh, inflation is here. But when you cripple the housing industry by raising interest rates, that's going to come back next year. Bill, you sound like John Katzmatidis now. Is a driver of the economy. Well, I, I, I was on Maria Bartolomo this morning, and uh, we talked about that all over again, uh, that uh, the uh, inflation is a self-inflicted uh, wound uh, yeah. done by President Biden. But, you know, a lot of people— I think Bartolomo likes you, John. I think you like <laughs> Bill, a lot of people measured that by the price of gasoline and, you know, dumping a million barrels a day out of the uh, strategic petroleum reserve really had an impact on that. Uh, and uh, price of gasoline was going down. So, I, I, you know, I, I just I the people who voted in Arizona and Nevada, New Hampshire for the people, for the politicians who were backing Biden. That vote is inexplicable, particularly if you're in Arizona, because you're overrun by hundreds of thousands of illegal migrants. And this is OK with you. But- Bill, could that be because of a split in the Republican Party between the Trump supporters and McCain supporters, the fact that the best candidates were driven out of the race? You know, somewhat. But again, folks usually vote their own self-interest. They don't micromanage or analyze who the people are running. I mean, my congressman here in Long Island won George Santos, right? Right. He beat Zimmerman. Now, I know Zimmerman, and I'm very happy he lost because I know who he is and what he'll do. I don't know much about Santos, okay? I just know that he opposed Zimmerman. That was enough for me, okay? So it was a very strange election. But I think that the folks are going to get pummeled this next year, and that's going to change the presidential equation for 2024. Can I tell you one more interesting thing that I think, you, or are we running out of No, we, we, for, for you, we always have time. Excellent. I'm not as prestigious as Maria Bartiromo, but I'm close. <laughs> Merrick Garland made a tremendous mistake appointing a special counsel to investigate Trump on January 6th. You know why? Because it is now on the record that the FBI had at least 
eight undercover agents Mm -hmm. on the ground when that riot took place. Any investigation into what Trump did is going to have to focus on what the FBI did. Bill, do you really think the FBI had anything to do with fomenting it? That's the same allegation they make against the cops when they lock up terrorists here in New York. There's always undercovers involved. You had thousands of animals charged in the Capitol. I don't think eight FBI agents could have brought that about. No, no, no. But these were embedded beforehand with the Proud Boys and stuff like that. Right. This is a huge story. Yeah, but what, for what Peter, though? Peter, you're convinced one way. I'm not convinced 100 percent everything was legit over there. I, I am. OK. I am. Yeah. All right. Well, look, you're going to get it because um, the FBI chief was grilled last week in front of a House committee and would not say. If there were undercover FBI agents participating in the riot. Christopher Ray wouldn't answer the question if it's shown, Congressman, that the FBI was inside the Capitol with those demonstrators and did not inform the White House, Pelosi, the D.C. authorities, it's going to blow up. And I'd be, I'd be a little shotgun. If they allow that to happen, they should get life in prison. I can't believe that they would have allowed. They may have made a mistake. They may have underestimated. But this, Bill, why, why didn't Ray answer the question? Ray knows. Ray knows if he had undercovers in it's, there. It's always difficult to discuss undercovers in public, too. Oh, bull. He could That's have not said, bull. It's actually no, reality, Bill. Face, face the facts. He could have said, This no, is an Irish didn't. fight. <laughs> oh, this is good radio. <laughs> Spirited. Hey, look, tell look. us you're going to be on 9 o'clock tonight. We're, gonna, we're running out of time. We're going to take that break. 9 o'clock tonight. WABC Radio Common Sense with Bill O'Reilly. You don't want to miss it. What will you be discussing? We've got a minute I left. Got, uh, Senator Lieberman on tonight. Oh, oh he's a great, oh, great man. Good guy. What, great we, guy. Uh, what we, we're talking about now, and we're discussing what the House will do. With Joe and Hunter Biden. This is a must listen tonight at nine o'clock. Bill O'Reilly, I'll give you some tips. There's videos of the Capitol Police opening the doors and letting everybody in. Number one. One door. Number two. Not letting everybody in. Number two, 300. Of 300 people that went in, only one gun was fire, found. That means it was, it was probably an FBI guy. I have a question. Uh, who, no, that's unfair who, to say. That is unfair to say to law enforcement. One there were animals gun, there. One there were animals out of 300 people. And they were carrying clubs and bats and everything else, John. They were animals uh, trying to kill people. How about the 120 cops who were put in the hospital? Who planted the bomb? Peter, nobody, nobody was killed. Nobody was the, killed. Nobody was hurt. Nobody was hurt during the hospital. No, well, John said nobody was hurt. of it now with the new special prosecutor, won't we? Well, all right. Bill, I bet put we that will one absolutely. Bill, but the majority of Americans one off. And That's by the way, there's do. a new Harvard poll that came out that said a majority of Americans, 65 percent, want Hunter Biden investigated yes. by a special prosecutor. So where's that investigation? That's the double standard. That's, uh, That's uh, the double Bob standard. Penn's, uh, Mr. Penn's uh, right. Mark Penn's. It's Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Welcome back to the John Katzmatidis Cats at Night show. That was some spirited discussion we had, Congressman King. Fighting Irish. Well, he was he was busy. We were waiting for the fighting Irish music there. Um, so, tell us your opinion. Uh, what you you wanted to finish your thought there? 
no, before we went to break. No, I was just going to say on that, to me, whatever mistakes the FBI may have made or the Capitol Police, the fact is that there were 99% of those people were animals who were attacking the Capitol today. To me, it was a disgrace to the country, one of the most shameful days for any patriot in this country. And they were coming in with deadly weapons, whether, whether they found guns or not. They were using baseball bats and clubs, 140 cops. The ended bear up spray. Yeah, bear spray, yeah. If O'Reilly's problem comes up, Garland still controls it and can put it off as long as he wants. But they will settle the Mar-a-Lago one. Very but quickly. to Bill O'Reilly's defense, I don't think he was saying that those eight undercover cops like um, participated oh, no. or definitely encouraged just it. Just the headline. That's just what the it fact is. that they were yeah. embedded. Exactly. It, it's like if they knew this Where's was about to happen. Irish yeah. If they knew this was going to happen, why didn't they ask for the National Guard? Why didn't they well, alert? Did they, they didn't happen. know. But, yeah. but there was a request. Yeah. There was a request made for that. The guys who fell asleep. I know. I know. Mostly fell asleep. Yeah, I know. I know, but they the should mayor, have sounded the, the alarm too. Columbia, no, they didn't know, no the one knew it was going to be as bad as it was. That's right. the reality. But nobody got hurt. The, nobody got hurt trying to in the hospital. Okay, okay Congressman <laughs> Michael Waltz is now on the line. He represents North Central Florida. He's a colonel in the National Guard, a combat decorated Green Beret, former White House and Pentagon policy advisor. He's also an author. Uh, welcome to Cats at Night, Congressman and Waltz. And a participant in the Nixon seminars. There you go. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, good to be with you. Thanks. So, Congressman, what we wanted to Wait, talk can about. Can I just say one oh, thing to Mike Waltz's? Mike, this is former Congressman Pete King. We served in the Congress together. Bill O'Reilly and I just had a fight. If you want a real fighter, get Mike Waltz. This guy's a Green Beret. I believe it. No one's going to mess with him. That's what we're going to talk about. No one's going to mess with him. He's not Irish. That's what we want to talk about. He's tough. He's really tough. We want to talk to him about the military, about how important it is to have national security and protect our country. The U.S. military is now popularizing uh, critical race theory and gender identity ideologies within its ranks in response to diversity initiatives launched by the Biden administration. And Representative Waltz, you're now leading the Heritage Foundation panel on combating wokeness in the military. Tell us what is going on. It seems like they're trying to soften our soldiers and they they care more about their feelings and actually protecting our country. Yeah, thanks so much. I mean, it is uh, it's been incredible uh, what soldiers, cadets from our military academies, family Uh, of uh, serving members of the military and others have been bringing to our attention uh, things like a seminar at West Point titled How to Cope with Your Whiteness and Your White Rage. Oh, my God. Wow. Uh, Taught by a woman, uh, a professor from Emory University, uh, who not 100 years ago or or a thing of the past says that today the Republican Party platform is one of white supremacy. So you have you have things like that going on. You have the Air Force Academy uh, train diversity, equity and inclusion training that says don't say mom and dad, say parents, don't say boyfriend, girlfriend, say partner, don't say things like colorblind or offensive. Uh, so that's what's going on to our future military leaders. You couple that with the current secretary of defense who stated as his first measure as defense secretary uh, a training stand-down directed it because of the scourge of white supremacy throughout our military. Yet a year later, his own study found out that 100 military members out of 2.1 million, so 0.005%, participated in any form of ex- extremism. I could go on. Uh, but this, uh, this left-wing ideology that is being posed and posed on our military is absolutely destructive. Uh, I can tell you as a Green Beret and a combat veteran, the enemy's bullets 
don't care about race, religion, social economic background, uh, or, or any of those other things. They only care that you're wearing red, white, and blue uh, on your white shoulder. And in the foxhole, in the plane, on the ship, that's all we should care about. We should care about mission, country, taking care of men and women of the left and the right, and defending this great nation. And I'm determined, uh, both leading this panel with heritage, but also uh, I hope to soon be the chairman of uh, military readiness in the House of Representatives with responsibility of all training, all of our military academies. And we are going to wipe this scourge out of our military because it is absolutely having an, an effect on recruiting. It's having an effect on retention. Uh, and right now, China, I can tell you what, they're talking about nukes and cyber and space. And you've got this administration talking about gender uh, and, and all of these other left-wing ideologies, climate and what have you. <laughs> and uh, it, this is going to uh, this is going to cost lives uh, in our future. Mike, there's still a Democratic president and a Democratic Senate. What do you think you can do in the House to reverse that or to stop it or slow it down? Well, you know, first of all, with with oversight of, you know, in the defense bill, as you know, Peter, you know, that's one of the few things that actually gets passed every year, uh, the National Defense Authorization Act. Uh, And, you know, I hope the administration will work with us on this. I don't expect they will. Uh, We've introduced multiple amendments in the last few years to ban this type of training. Uh, The Democrats have voted it down, but they won't be able to this time. Uh, So so that's point one. Uh, well, why two. would the Democrats want that? In I, I mean, we're we're fighting guerrillas with the Chinese. We're fighting real, yeah. you know, with, with the Russians, and they want to put worry about woke culture in the army. Oh, absolutely. And and what they will say, what they have said at our hearing uh, and in our our bill markup is that having a diverse military makes it a stronger military and that we need to understand history and where everybody comes from. But, but, there, but there is not, diversity in the military. Are two different there is. There is. That's, that's not the issue. <laughs> How does that make you a stronger... in the military than in our broader population. How does that make you a stronger fighter to protect this country, Congressman? Look, at the end of the day, my argument uh, is and will be, it's about standards, right? It's about... Uh, being the best infantryman, the best cyber warrior, uh, the best pilot uh, that that the nation needs. Now, we can argue about those standards. That's fine. But that's it. We need the very best defending this country uh, and, and those that can meet those standards, regardless of gender and regardless of race, socioeconomic background or anything else. Congressman. Uh, and that's what we have to stay focused on. But let me just tell you very quickly, I mean, the type of things that we're getting, that the Secretary of the Army just presented to us a few months ago a strategy. She's serious, and they'll put billions of dollars behind this to tank, to, to take all of our tanks, our infantry fighting vehicles, our Jeeps, what have you, all electric between 2035 and 2045 in the next 15 to 20 years. you got to be kidding uh, I, I don't see charging stations in Ukraine right now, <laughs> nor do we, nor do we in a, on a serious. I don't see I, I don't see any buff- in Buffalo chain. either. Yeah, yeah, that's absolutely right. So I want the most lethal tanks, not the least carbon emitting. I want the most lethal fighting force, uh, not the one that checks a bunch of boxes that, that the left thinks we should have. 
And uh, Congressman Waltz, we have a minute left. This woke culture in the military, what do you think our adversaries are thinking about it? If we're hearing about it as Americans and... And how does that jeopardize our national security? We have a minute left, Congressman. They're going to really respect an army full of woke culture people. We just fell 25,000 soldiers short in one year for the army. That's two and a half divisions. Uh, And that's not counting the people that are getting out early after investing millions uh, in their training. That's in the army alone. I'll call you guys back and, and we'll talk about the vaccine mandate. They're looking at another 22,000 discharges on top of that. Okay. Uh, so we are literally hollowing out our military while China has the biggest military buildup in modern history. Well, we'll, we'll uh, have you on again. We'll have you on again real soon. And um, and uh, we'll be able to talk about it longer. Thanks for your service, Mike. And happy Thanksgiving. Thank you for your service. All right. God bless. Thank happy you. God bless. This is Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Welcome back to the John Katzmatidis Cats at Night show. Now on the line for us, Miranda Devine. She's a New York Post columnist. She's also the author of the book Laptop from Hell, which uh, apparently now CBS News has finally realized is actually a real thing. Welcome back to Cats at Night, Miranda Devine. Oh, thanks, Lydia. Great to be with you. So go. You go, Judge. Miranda, you had this great column about the future of the economy is at the mercy of, of Powell and, uh, and Yellen. Could you explain to our listeners what that's all about? Yes, well, Jerome Powell is the chair of the Federal Reserve and, um, the, and Janet Yellen is the head of the Treasury Department. And they're supposed to work, you know, kind of in a cooperative fashion to try and get inflation under control. But what I'm told is that they're actually working in opposition to each other. So while Jerome Powell at the Federal Reserve does what reserve bankers around the world um, have always done traditionally to try and get inflation down, um, he's been hiking interest rates and he's done that four times uh, most recently in early November. And he's threatening to keep on doing it because inflation is not getting under control. I think it was 6.6% or something, uh, the last number in November. It's slightly down from what it had been. And so, um, but at the same time, you have Janet Yellen in the Treasury, as well as various liberal members of the Federal Reserve who uh, have been stacked in there in the last year, um, who are sort of Bernie Sanders types who think that um, what ought to happen is that the Federal Reserve should be worrying about climate change instead of just managing the economy the way it's supposed to. Um, and uh, so those liberal members are also on side with Janet Yellen in trying to pump the markets, keeping the stock market up. Um, and what they're doing is every time they do that, uh, and, and sort of background journalists about how, no, the, the upcoming rate hikes are not going to be as savage as Jerome Paul, Powell is threatening. Um, I mean, he's crystal clear that he's going to keep on increasing interest rates until the inflation rate starts coming down. And uh, meanwhile, people in his own board are uh, running around telling journalists, oh, no, don't listen to him. He, he's, you know, we're not going to be that tough. They're, those people are called doves when it comes to inflation. And Jerome Powell is a hawk. And unfortunately, the doves and the hawks behind the scenes are in this almighty tug of war. And it's just going to exacerbate the crisis. They are destroying this country. They're, the the real estate industry is going to the toilet. 
Construction mm-hmm. is stopping. Uh, new homes are ten year low. And instead of fixing the oil problem that President Biden has uh, has uh, has created. They are making an additional problem by raising interest rates to fix the problem they created with uh, with oil. All the spending. Yes, that's right. And oil. Exactly. I mean, it's just a, an unmitigated disaster. But, um, you know, inflation is a disaster as well. So, um, I mean, at the very least, you'd think they'd be have a coordinated response instead of this push me, push, pull you sort of civil war going on. Well, Miranda, Ed Cox here, as you well know, the Fed has has a dual function by the Humphrey Hawkins bill, and that is low unemployment and low inflation. At the Mm -hmm. moment, unemployment is historically very low and inflation is very high. So isn't it pretty clear what they have to do? Well, yes, it is. And unfortunately, you know, increasing interest rates is going to put pressure on companies and they're going to start laying off more workers. You're already seeing that in the tech industry. Um, Both Facebook and Twitter have laid off thousands of workers. That's going to spill over to other industries. You know, I mean, Jerome Powell knows, uh, and he's pretty much said it, and it's like history tells us this is what happens. The only way really to, to stop uh, inflation from out of being out of control, which it is currently, runaway inflation, um, is to to bring on a recession. You know, it's short. I think what Jerome Powell wants is a short, sharp recession, and the economy gets back into gear. But what I'm told is happening is that uh, Janet Yellen and the Biden administration and these liberal Federal Reserve people think that they can keep on kicking the can down the road uh, for one or two years, maybe beyond the 2024 presidential election. Because that way, they don't suffer the political consequences for their own economic vandalism. Miranda Devine, switching gears to Hunter Biden, a subject you know all too well. A new Harvard-Harris poll came out. We mentioned this earlier, that a majority of Americans think the House should investigate the Hunter Biden laptop by more than 65%. And now CBS News also came out this morning saying they were able to verify that the laptop is real. What is your reaction, considering that you knew about the laptop, you wrote about it over two years ago and in, and even were censored by it? Yes, well, look, I'm glad that CBS has come late to the party, uh, you know, two years late, but uh, the more the merrier. Unfortunately, like every other uh, left-wing outlet that has come belatedly uh, followed in our footsteps, um, they always have this little caveat in there that, you know, Joe Biden knew nothing about it, and this has nothing to do with Joe Biden. No, that's not correct. The only reason that Hunter Biden's laptop is of any interest to anybody is because It implicates Joe Biden in the influence peddling scheme that he and his family have been running really since the beginning of his uh, Senate career back 40 years ago plus, um, but which he internationalized to America's great detriment when he was vice president. And so that is exactly what James Comer uh, and Jim Jordan have been saying. The House Republicans say that this is not an investigation into Hunter Biden. It is an investigation into the president of the United States. That is what brings it to that level. And uh, I'm glad 
glad to see that the Harvard-Harris poll shows what we already know, which is that the American people understand that this is a national security issue, that we need to get to the bottom of the question of whether or not Joe Biden is now compromised in particularly the eyes of our greatest adversary, China, when it comes to all the millions of dollars that his family raked in from China using his name when he was vice president, all those um, partners of Hunter Biden that Joe Biden met, uh, shook hands with, uh, went to dinner with, invited to his residence in Washington, D.C. How has that compromised Joe Biden and the presidency of the United States? Well, thank you so much, Miranda Devine, for always telling the truth and doing such great investigative work. Thank you. Thank you. Bye bye. And now on on the phone with us, we have uh, uh, Chief four, of Departments, Chief of Department, uh, Kenneth uh, Corey. And today is his retirement day. I understand is a retirement party for you at six o'clock. Hey, John, thank you. Actually, I'm, I'm here for another week. I, I don't retire. From the OK, but, OK. Uh, so I'll be around for the big parade on Thursday. That's wonderful. Now, tell us, six, uh, 34 years in the police department, you rose to the highest rank of uh, uh, any officer um, and uh, you've had almost every rank all, all the way up, haven't you? Yeah, pretty much. Pretty he, much. Yeah. He joined the department as a police cadet in 1988. <laughs> Yeah, Chief, a it's, different city it was in 1988. Right? Chief, it's, different a, city. it's Judge Richard Weinberg. I want to congratulate you on the great work you did in the department, and we wish you well in the future. I myself am very troubled about the future of, uh, of this city and what's going on. I talk to uh, police officers. I talk to DAs. I talk to my fellow judges. I have to tell you, they're very fearful about the future of this city because we're not backing the men and women in blue. We're not giving the judges discretion to hold in dangerous criminals. Prosecutors are unable to to prosecute because of political correctness, the DA's office. What's your take, given your overall experience? Well, listen, I think that the men and women of the New York City Police Department do an incredible job every day. And I think that looking at the data, I think right now they're probably working harder than they've ever worked before and also smarter than they ever have before. You know, if you look at the number of arrests that they make for those major felony crimes, um, you know, they're up almost 27 percent this year over last year. And as a matter of fact, they're at a 21 year high. So the last time we made this many major arrests, 2001, um, although then we have to keep in mind that back in 2001, we had 15,000 more of these crimes that took place than we do today. And we had about 9,000 more police officers out there as well. Right. So fewer police officers with less crime, still making more of the arrests for that crime, catching more of the persons responsible than ever before. But, but the um, problem to the points that you hit. Yeah. about, Right. So, you know, listen, to my mind, a simple tweak of the law, give judges the discretion to hold dangerous offenders and crime in New York plummets. It doesn't come down gradually. We know who drives crime in New York City and we continue to arrest them over and over and over again. You put those people in jail, crime will drop. Chief, this is Pete King. First of all, thank you for your years of service. Uh, do you see the police being authorized in the future, uh, maybe different DAs, I don't know, to start uh, enforcing quality of life crimes, which uh, t- to me has a really a damaging effect on the morale of the city and in many ways cops' hands are tied? Uh, Congressman, how are you? Thank you. So we, we went back to um, a version of quality of life enforcement. We started it back in the spring. And we've been ramping it up as we go. So the officers have begun addressing that. But listen, remember, we didn't do that for quite a number of years in New York City. So 
So we have an, an entire generation of police officers, really, that we've hired, probably a third of the department, which is going to make up the bulk of the officers that are out there on patrol that have never engaged in that type of policing before. So they need to be taught how to do it which we've done. And now they need to get comfortable doing it. They need to know that the, uh, you know, that their elected officials, that their supervisors and their elected officials stand behind them. They certainly know that I stand behind them, that the commissioner stands behind them and that the mayor stands behind them. Um, so they are getting more and more comfortable doing it. And, and we see those incidents um, continuing to increase week after week, but it's going to take time. Right? We didn't get to the position that we're in overnight and there's no easy fix for it. No, I was going to ask, I mean, one of the biggest frustrations uh, in the inner city here in Manhattan is uh, people committing crimes and uh, uh, some of the the, uh, uh, precinct police officers don't want to do anything about it because they were told by somebody. Not to arrest anybody on 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 the uh, on which cases? Unlike misdemeanors, because there's really no point. They cut them loose before they can finish the paperwork. I don't think anybody's given them that direction. I think that may be something that they're feeling on their own, their Mm -hmm. own frustration. And that's, listen, that's very valid. We've had, you know, multiple examples where officers make an arrest, they issue a desk appearance ticket, which is what the law currently requires. And then while still, while they're still there doing the paperwork, a different team of officers is walking that same person back into the same station house in handcuffs (laughs) for a new crime. I mean, you know, you can imagine that that's frustrating and demoralizing at the same time. Uh, well, you guys did a fantastic job stopping the Jewish synagogue attack. Uh, Chief Corey, can you tell us how the police were able to do that? I mean, this was a real threat. These guys were really armed and they were intent on possibly doing killing people at Jewish at synagogues all throughout the city. Yes. Yeah, so thank you very much. Listen, our our. Our officers, our detectives working collaboratively with our partners, you know, federal, uh, state and local, all coming together on this. You know, listen, a, a uh, information is received that an individual has some really troubling social media posts. Those posts are escalating in both um, violence and timeline. So. You know, one of the posts, for example, saying, you know, big moves happening Friday, you know, alluding to this past Friday. So officers able to identify who that person is or investigators, I should say, you know, with our joint terrorist task force, able to invest, identify who that person is, um, identify that he boarded a Long Island Railroad train bound for New York City, getting a photograph we're able to quickly get that information and this photograph out to all 35,000 NYPD officers via, uh, via their department-issued smartphone. And we do that by means of, a, of an app that we have on here that delivers a critical alert. So basically, the phone is going to annoy them until they look at that alert. Right? You can't just silence it. You actually have to read it. So now we know every officer has seen that photo, understands the threat, is looking for this individual. Um, during the investigation, we come to find out that that individual met up with a second person. Um, and then those two, you know, in addition to distributing the information to our own officers, we also distribute it to all of our partners. So Port Authority Police, MTA Police, federal state agencies, and two sharp-eyed 
MTA police officers at Penn Station see these two individuals entering Penn Station. They're able to stop them and quickly apprehend them. Chief, we're getting a signal here for, for hard break, but let me thank you. We have everyone here, especially the owner, John Casperitius, for your years of service. It's really been a privilege to know you, and thank you for what you've done for all the people of New York, and good luck in your future. Thank you so Thanks. much, and, and we'll have you on again when we have more time. Thanks very much. Have a great night. Great night. Happy Thanksgiving. And, uh, happy Thanksgiving. And we have some breaking news. Breaking news. WABC. We now have the mayor of Buffalo on with us to give us the latest on the snow storm that really slams into Buffalo. But you guys are, are used to this kind of stuff, right? With six feet, seven feet, right? We're used to snow in Buffalo. This was a <laughs> light effect storm more than we usually get. The storm is being called historic. Wow. So t- give us a status of it. Tell us how much uh, it's the most that ever has fallen in Buffalo, I understand. So uh, three quarters of Buffalo over two feet, the southern part of Buffalo over four feet, and where the Buffalo Bills play in Orchard Park, a suburb of Buffalo, over seven feet. So um, it's historic lake effect storm, uh, dumped snow on the city, western New York region, and uh, we are making great progress digging out. Uh, We have lifted the travel uh, advisory. Wow. Uh, The travel advisory in uh, three quarters of the city. Uh, Another part of the city where there was a travel ban altogether just got lifted at four o'clock today. I just got a text message from our operations. You know, we have the quick fill red apple operations up in Buffalo. And it says we kept the Hamburg location open around the clock, the gas station. So the New York Department of Transportation snow plow trucks uh, could uh, refuel throughout the storm. That that was fantastic. People really needed that. We got a lot of assistance from uh, the New York State DOT, New York State Department of Homeland Security and Emergency Services. They had trucks uh, in here helping Western New York. So thank you so much for keeping that Hamburg store open. Uh, that assisted us in the entire region uh, with what we were doing to get the community open back up, get snow plowed, get snow hauled. So the snow has stopped and, you, uh, and you're busy clearing the streets, so the emergency is over, you think, or mostly over? Uh, we, we have made great progress. I think it's mostly over. Uh, we're just about the end of this. It started snowing on Thursday, uh, uh, ending about uh, Sunday overnight, Sunday. Uh, and, and now it is plowing where we can. Uh, in other areas, the snowfall has been so heavy we have to haul it out of those communities, and we're engaged in those activities right now. Well, thank you so much, Mayor Byron Brown. And we're seeing a lot of the videos and pictures out of Buffalo. It's incredible. Thank God everybody is okay. And thank you so much for all your great work. God bless. Well, thank you. God bless you, too. Thank you. Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Welcome to the John Katzmatidi Show, Cats at Night. Now on the line with us, we have Dr. Mark Siegel, and he wants to talk to us about marijuana. And he says, this is not your uh, mom and pop's uh, marijuana anymore, right, Dr. Siegel? 
It's the problem with the whole world right now, Lydia. What do we call things and what is their significance? Are we using a name that means something other than the meaning? And that's deliberate, right? If people want to market something. So everybody would love if we call this pot because when it was pot, it was a 1.5 to 2.5% THC content like some pot shops in Europe have. But it turns out that now the content of marijuana or weed or whatever you want to call it is closer to 25 to 50% THC, which is the active ingredients, which, which is why when it became recreationally legal in Colorado, you saw the ERs flooded with people with vomiting syndromes or with psychosis. Marijuana-induced psychosis, occur, cannabis-induced psychosis occurs uh, when you have an underlying mental health issue that's then triggered by this enormously high content of THC. Welcome to the 21st century. Dr. Siegel, it's, uh, it's Richard Weinberg. Let me tell you something. I, I ran special narcotics for about seven years in, in New York City. It's a gateway drug. Everybody who knows anything about drug addiction knows they start with marijuana and then moves up to higher stuff. That your judgment is impaired. You shouldn't be driving when you're under the influence of marijuana. And the human the brain doesn't develop till 26. And it can cause enormous damage to young people who are using this product. What do you say? Agree with that completely. That's another statistic that got buried, Judge, which was in Colorado when it became recreationally available. More and more car accidents, when they tested people, they found that they had marijuana in their system. And people said, oh, it was also alcohol or it was this or that. I think it's an impairment drug. And I think you're right that it leads you into a situation where you're more likely to take other drugs as well. So I think it's correct. It's always been a gateway drug, but now it's even more so because of the powerful chemicals. And, that, and of course, they're also laced with things sometimes that we're not expecting. Fentanyl. This is, there's been lacing of marijuana with fentanyl. It's yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Fentanyl is all over the place, and it's also found in marijuana, and it leads to overdoses. It's becoming more and more just... A, a, a criminal empire trying to essentially seduce our teens. Now, they're giving out licenses uh, to, to people who have marijuana stores, but you have to be a cr- convicted marijuana criminal. <laughs> they're the ones the first so ones you're to get rewarding, the licenses. So what you're doing is you're rewarding people for being criminal criminals. You're giving them an edge up. I mean, I, I can't That's figure a- that out. Sounds like they're working remotely too. By the way, once they <laughs> once they're set up, then they, then they also get a badge of honor and they get to work via Zoom. You just you can't make this up. So I've been hearing a lot of people more and more now getting COVID. There's also RSV, which is affects especially children and their lungs and the flu. Uh, you know, just when we thought COVID was over, it's coming back, rearing its ugly head right in time for the holidays. Dr. Siegel, what's what's uh, some tips would you would give us? Well, the, the emergency rooms are filling up, and that's because of the fact that these three are together. Now, COVID itself is not increasing. If, if anything, the, the number of COVID cases is still on the decline. And I think we have a, what's called a bed of immunity built up from prior COVID, from people that have got the various amounts of vaccines. So we're, we're still losing people with COVID, but it's stable. It's, sta- it, it's at a certain level. RSV is zooming up, Lydia, because of all the people that were 
shut down, that were locked down, the schools were closed, the, the masks were on, and that led you not to be exposed to viruses you usually see at a very young age, like RSV. So RSV is, is a huge problem for six months and under for it, our it, toddlers. It, is it, doctor, is it deadly or not? It can be deadly. It can be, it's especially for kids. It's yeah. absolutely deadly in a very young child or in a very elderly individual who doesn't have immunity. In the young child, it's because their airways aren't fully developed, and if they get filled with secretions from this virus, they can have a problem with breathing. It's very, very wow. serious. And flu is, is rip-roaring this year because we don't have immunity built up to flu. My daughter, she's five now, but she had RSV when she was a year old. I remember she got it at her birthday party because there was another little sick kid there, and I'd never been more afraid in my life. She had to have like the mask on, like the asthma mask, in order to help her breathe. And the doctor God. told me it was a 50-50 chance she would end up in the hospital. Oh, my gosh. How did she do? She did. Obviously, she was fine. She was fine. She did not end up in the hospital. We kept her hydrated, but it was not easy. It was a very, very scary time. I mean, we're seeing ten percent of the of the hospitalizations right now in the United States are people that have RSV, flu, or COVID. That's huge. Seven percent of the people coming to see the doctor right now are coming with upper respiratory infections. This is a big time for it. And and it's and again, it's made worse because we don't have the usual amount of immunity that we're used to to these viruses. And so normally every kid by the age of two has seen RSV. This year it's not true. So we're seeing we're seeing another repercussion of the impact of the so-called mitigating strategies of the pandemic. Well, we're out of time. Thank you, Dr. Mark Siegel. And uh, um, I haven't seen you in months, and we got to catch up soon. Yeah, but no marijuana. We'll have a we'll have a beer. Well, <laughs> I'm still light. Well, thank you, Dr. Uh, Siegel, and uh, thank you, thank you, uh, thank you. Um, Judge Weinberg, Ed Cox, Congressman King, and uh, Lydia. Thanks for being the sidekick. And uh, what do we stand for? Truth, Truth, justice, justice, and the American way. God bless America. It's Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network.